Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Ashton uh, caught me off guard with that music bump right there. Let's bring in right now Brewers radio broadcaster. I think I said radio broadcaster extraordinaire a moment ago, so we'll keep with that. It is Lane Grendel. Hey, Lane, how are you doing? <laughs> well, I appreciate the title. <laughs> Good to be with you. Glad to uh, glad to have you there. Uh, what's uh, just from your perspective, being a guy who's been broadcasting these games all season long and, and starting in spring training and uh, being so close with the team from 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 day literally day one to where we are at right now, uh, you're more than a bystander. What's it like for you watching this team go through uh, this period of where they're at right now? I've been asked that question quite a few times this week, and and my answer is is pretty consistent. It's it's really satisfying and fulfilling to watch these guys celebrate their accomplishments. And I know that sounds incredibly simplistic, but it's the truth. I mean, um, for those of us that have been around them from the start, uh, and in in the case of a couple of these guys, or a handful of these guys, a lot longer than that, um, it's just, it's really fun when you're in that clubhouse during those celebrations to just sit back and and watch the the sheer joy, the uh, satisfaction, the euphoria at times over what are really amazing accomplishments. It's it's really hard to do what the Brewers have already done this year, and it's really hard to do what they're on the verge of potentially doing. And so it's fun to see them have those moments where they get to appreciate it. And I think that's been the, the most fun part for me has been watching the smiles. And, and I know that's a little bit corny, but it's the, it's just the truth. That's That's the part that I enjoy the most. It's always been that way for me covering teams is seeing the teams accomplish things and getting a chance to watch them enjoy that part of it. I think that's the best part. I love breaking down the 11 game winning streak. And this could be a long question. I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm going Good. to. No, do it. Because it starts where they took two of three from Pittsburgh, and that's a team that they'd really struggled against all season. Mm-hmm. Then they go into St. Louis. And, Lane, if they have a bad series in St. Louis, that there was a chance that they're, they're at that point they were kind of playing for their playoff lives and right. they sweep St. Louis and they secure a spot in the postseason and then they they take on Detroit and they're able to lock in at least the top wild card spot and then they go to Chicago and obviously they win the NL Central and then it's been all postseason since then but this isn't just an 11 game winning streak that's not that there's such thing as a normal 11 game winning streak but if you look at the different tiers and the different things that they've accomplished on every single step of the streak I think it makes it that much more impressive. Well, I, I agree with, exa- with with what you're saying, and I, it, here's the thing, and, and I think what you're trying to say is that this isn't some 11-game winning streak in May, which is impressive unto itself, but there isn't the same type of stakes. The, the things aren't on the line in May that were on the line over the course of this stretch for the Brewers. This wasn't just a, hey, they got hot. Um, it's easy to say, hey, look, they got hot at the right time. There's a reason why they got hot at the right time. Because when the pressure got to its peak, this team, because of the cohesion, because of the unity, because of the togetherness and the connectedness and all those buzzwords we've used about them for the last two years, it, it held to be true. And so when the going got tough for all of those other teams, for the Cardinals, who were in the playoff hunt at that point, for the Cubs, who were trying to hold on to the Central, the team that that had the best chemistry and the best makeup 
was the team that hit the accelerator and started going faster. And I don't think that's by accident. I don't think that's just one of those things where, hey, the Brewers got hot at the right time. I think because of who they are is why they got hot at the right time. And I think that's a good omen moving forward, too. Uh, as the stakes get bigger, it seems like this team plays better. Brewers radio broadcaster Lane Grendel is continuing to join us. This there there's a there's this feeling I think from many Brewers fans that the nation has not paid attention to this team and we're it's a small media market I I get that I'm never too worried about that I don't care if there's a million people watching or if there's 40,000 people watching a win counts the same to me but now that it's the NLCS the national media they're here they're in Milwaukee yeah. it all changes once you get to the NLCS is that how do you view that? Is it, is it good that all of a sudden the nation is going to kind of learn a little bit more about who this Brewers team is? I think it is. Um, I, I think this team has enjoyed the fact that they weren't in the spotlight, that they could kind of go off over here and just do their thing, right? Show up, put their work in, win games, go to bed, wake up the next day and do the same thing. I, I, I think they enjoyed that part of it go ahead, keep paying attention to everybody else. We'll just be over here worrying about us. I've heard guys talk about that fact over the course of the year. But now that it's here, I mean, this is what you were fighting for. You were fighting to get onto this stage. You were fighting to get yourself into this position. And here's the thing about the Brewers. They have guys that have gone through this before. You know, there's a lot of narrative about, well, they haven't been in the playoffs since 2011. But they have just not all together. <laughs> Lorenzo Cain and Mike Moustakis were kind of this team with the Kansas City Royals that nobody was paying attention to, and then they ran through the playoffs in 14 on the way to the World Series, losing seven of the Giants, come back on a mission in 15, and they finished the job. Um, they've been in a very similar situation to this in the past. Not just postseason experience, but this same kind of situation with kind of a similar team in a lot of ways that they were a part of in Kansas City. Um, guys like um, Curtis Granderson, I mean, he, he's played in New York, in the World Series for, for New York teams. I mean, he knows what he's doing. And I think probably when everything is over and this season is said and done and we're looking back on the things that helped this team get to where they are, one guy that's going to deserve some credit, as crazy as it sounds, because he came in in September – and he was used off the bench primarily. But I think that the trade for Curtis Granderson is going to be one of those things where you go, hey, that was a big deal. That ended up being a really nice addition. He's getting on base. He did a lot of good things on the field. But you talk to people around the team, and they'll tell you he's had a huge impact in the clubhouse as a guy that is that is so respected. And when he talks, people listen. And it's not just standing up in front of the whole team and addressing them, but in individual conversations, helping guys along. There's so much of that on this team. Um, Matt Albers, who has had a tough year on the mound, but you talk to young pitchers like Corbin Burns, and they'll tell you, look, Matt Albers has had an impact on me, and he has helped me get through different things. And I think that's what this team has so well. So um, there is experience. There are guys that have been on this stage before. I don't think that the lights are going to make them blink in the least. And I think those veteran guys that I mentioned are going to help the Corbin Burns and the Josh haters of the world move past that and still perform. Last thing for you, something I appreciate about just kind of the philosophy of this team is 
They have their beliefs, and they're sticking with them. We saw uh, against the Rockies, bullpen game in game number one, they were avoiding starting lefties, so they put Chassin in the second game. And, and a lot of people said, what are they doing? And it works out. Now it's the exact opposite scenario when uh, they're taking on a Dodgers team that's really good against right-handers, so they're going to go Geo and, and Miley in, in games one and two. How much do, do you appreciate the fact that this team – thinks outside the box, and they got to this point a certain way, oh, it's the NLCS, they're not going to fall into a more traditional role, whether you know they leave themselves open to criticism from some of the traditional baseball folks, but they're going to keep doing it the way they've been doing it to get to the point that they've been at. Well, I think the thing that we've learned in the last five to ten years with playoff baseball specifically is the, the rigidness of a 162-game schedule where you say, okay, look, it's a large sample size. We don't overreact to one performance here or there or one specific matchup here or there because over 162, it kind of works itself out, right? And so you can apply Saber metrics maybe a little bit easier to 162 than you can in a smaller sample size like the playoffs. And so the gameplay is so different when you get to the postseason. You're going to the bullpen in the third inning. You're, I mean, you're doing all sorts of things you wouldn't normally do. And I've long felt like Craig Council is kind of a step ahead uh, in, in, in a lot of respects in terms of being very fluid and saying, okay, we're not going to be confined to a box here. We're going to try to find the most creative and the most efficient and most effective ways to get the outs we need to get so we can win this game. And I like that about him. Uh, and I also think that's also a byproduct of not having that true ace. If you have Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw, there's not a question. You're going to hand the ball to that guy. The Brewers don't have that. They have strength in numbers. They have strength in depth. They have strength with a great bullpen. And so it's how can we get to the sixth or seventh inning with a lead and what gives us the best chance to do that. And it is. It's kind of a flip from the Rockies where they had had so much success against lefties with their lineup. The Dodgers have not had as much success against lefties, and they've hit righties pretty well, one of the best hitting teams in baseball against right-handed pitchers. I think I looked at Gio Gonzalez's numbers against this current makeup of Dodgers, and I think collectively they have like a 533 OPS against Gio Gonzalez. So I think it makes sense. I think getting those lefties at Miller Park makes sense because it gets left-handed hitters like Max Muncy and Jock Peterson potentially out of the lineup with that porch and right that the ball kind of flies out to. And uh, then you go with the righty out at Dodger Stadium and you'll leave scene. So it makes sense to me on the surface. We'll see how Craig Council plays it, too. I mean, again, I think we know that just because Gio Gonzalez is getting the ball tomorrow night to start the game, that does not mean he's going to be on the mound in the sixth inning by any stretch of the imagination. Lane, great stuff as always. Appreciate the time. Enjoy your evening, and we'll see you at the ballpark tomorrow. Matt, looking forward to it. Thanks so much, buddy. All right, very good. There's uh, Lane Grendel joining us here on Brewers Weekly.